Greetings from St Bride's Church, Fleet Street, here in the very heart of the City of London. We're delighted that you're able to join us for this act of worship. St Bride's is famous for its ministry to journalists, and behind me here you can see our journalists' commemorative altar. We are aware, as never before, of the dangers that those in the industry face when bringing us the news. So our journalists and all who work in the media are very much in our thoughts and prayers at this time. However, we are, of course, here for all of you, journalists and everyone else. Do please leave us a comment or a like and tell us where you're listening from. It's always good to hear from you. And if you would like to donate to help support these services, uh, you'll find details of how to do so in the accompanying text. But now, may the light and peace of Christ be with us all as our worship begins. Thomas said, My Lord and my God,
very warm welcome to St Bride's to our choral Eucharist on this, the Feast of St Thomas the Apostle. It's wonderful that you can join us online for this service. We begin with our opening prayer. Let us pray. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. The saints were faithful unto death and now dwell in the heavenly kingdom forever. As we celebrate their joy, let us bring to the Lord our sins and weaknesses and ask for his mercy. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you and against our neighbour in thought and word and deed, through negligence, through weakness, through our own deliberate fault. We are truly sorry and repent of all our sins. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us, forgive us all that is past and grant that we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, who forgives all who truly repent, have mercy upon you, pardon and deliver you from all your sins, confirm and strengthen you in all goodness, and keep you in life eternal, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
almighty and everlasting God, who, for the firmer foundation of our faith, allowed your holy apostle Thomas to doubt the resurrection of your son till word and sight convinced him. Grant to us, who have not seen, that we also may believe and so confess Christ as our Lord and our God, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Reading from the book of the prophet Habakkuk. I will take my stand to watch and station myself on the tower and look forth to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain upon tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its time, it hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. Behold, he whose soul is not upright in him shall fail, but the righteous shall live by his faith. This is the word of the Lord.
A reading from the letter to the Ephesians. So then you are no longer strangers and sojourners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built into it for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand in his side, I will not believe. Eight days later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. The doors were shut, but Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand, and place it in my side. Do not be faithless, but believing. Thomas answered him, 
my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. This is the Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the living God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Today, the Feast of St Thomas happens to be the 34th anniversary of my own ordination to the diaconate, which took place in the Diocese of Oxford back in 1988. It has often struck me since then that the festival of St Thomas the Apostle, who is famously known as Doubting Thomas, is in fact a singularly appropriate occasion upon which to be launched as an ordained minister, but probably not for the reason that you might imagine. It is emphatically not because I regard ministerial life as being a constant struggle between faith and doubt, not a bit of it. Indeed, I don't think there has been a single occasion during those 34 years when I have doubted the existence of God, not for a moment. I certainly find myself on a very regular basis wondering what the heck he is up to, but I don't recall ever having doubted his existence for a moment. No, my reason is a different one. You see, it seems to me that Christian tradition has been monumentally unfair to Thomas, who, as we heard in our Gospel reading a moment ago, refused to believe that Jesus really had been raised from the dead until, that is, he was able to touch the wounded hands and side of his Lord and Master himself. As a result, Thomas has always been regarded as the great sceptic who was proved wrong, the one who was lacking in faith when all the other disciples were ready to believe, the one who resisted recognising the truth until it really was, literally, staring him in the face. The one who was way behind everyone else. Whereas I have always inclined to the view that Thomas, in fact, gives us an exceptionally good model, both for Christian discipleship in general and for Christian ministry in particular. Let me tell you a story to illustrate this. Some years ago, I met a man who, as a young adult, had been a professional dancer with a leading classical ballet company. At the time, he was also a very religious young man who was passionate about his Christian faith. And it was this that eventually led him to decide that dance was actually a very selfish thing for him to be doing. After all, if he really was sincere about his Christian faith, Surely he ought to be out in the world doing some good, not wasting his time doing something as trivial as dance. So, although it was a terrible, terrible wrench for him to do so, he turned his back on the life of a professional dancer and went to do other things instead. But what happened next was unimaginably awful, because having sacrificed the thing that he loved doing most for the sake of his Christian belief, he then lost his faith, totally and absolutely and utterly. 
He was left with nothing. His life was in pieces. And when I asked him, all those years later, what had caused this loss of faith, he said that he suddenly realised that the whole of his Christian belief was in fact rooted in other people's experiences and not his own. He had always simply accepted what he had been told. He had swallowed it, hook, line and sinker, as he thought he was supposed to. But at some deep level, by his own admission, he had never really made that faith his own. He had never truly experienced its reality for himself. And so the minute that doubts began to encroach upon him, he found that, just like the foolish man in the parable who built his house upon sand, the whole edifice upon which he had built his new life collapsed, suddenly and devastatingly. He was left surveying the rubble of the former career that he had loved and the meaningless fragments of what he had regarded as his Christian faith. I could have wept for him. And that is precisely why it seems to me that what is so good about Thomas is precisely that he wants to test the truth of what people are saying to him, that he wants to know the truth for himself. The verbal testimony of others, even those whom he loves and trusts, is not enough for him. He wants more than that. He needs to experience it for himself. And I, for one, find it very hard to condemn him for that. Like Thomas, I simply cannot be doing with the kind of faith that requires us to stop thinking, to stop asking questions, to stop testing what we believe against lived reality and instead simply to accept what we are told and to do so unquestioningly. Because any faith that is worth having will always be strong enough to cope with the toughest questions that we can ask of it. And only a faith that is deeply rooted in the hardest realities of human life and is unafraid to face them has the power to speak words of hope and light and new life to those who are in the deepest darkness. Having said that, it is certainly true that the starting point of any journey of faith may well require us to suspend our disbelief long enough to at least give it a go. But the really important stage is what comes next, which is when we discover its truth for ourselves by living it by testing its claims against lived experience. And lived experience is, of course, the most challenging territory of all for the life of faith. And it needs to be. My great hero, the Elizabethan priest and theologian and former master of the temple, just down the road from here, was one of the great founding fathers of Anglican tradition, Richard Hooker. And even though he was writing centuries ago, back in the 1590s, he has some very insightful and some very instructive things to say to us today. For me, he is particularly interesting on the subject of the authority of the Bible. How can we know that the Bible is authoritative, Richard Hooker asks. He dismisses out of hand the Puritan answer to that question, namely, that the Bible is authoritative because it, said it says it is, 
because, as Hooker points out, that's simply a circular argument that gets us nowhere. No, Hooker's answer is that it's a two-stage process. First, we have before us the evidence of centuries of Christian tradition to go on, testifying to the power of the living word of Scripture. So we can begin by suspending our disbelief and just giving it a go, trying it out, taking that testimony on trust. But that is merely the starting point. The really important stage is what comes next, which is when, through our own study of the scriptures and our own prayerful reflection upon them, we discover that truth for ourselves. And it is that that truly matters, the point at which we make it our own. In the deacon's ordination service, those who are to be ordained are instructed to seek nourishment from the scriptures, to study them with God's people, that the whole church may be equipped to live out the gospel in the world. In other words, it's not enough simply to believe the good news of Christ. You also have to discover its truth for yourself through studying the word of God, through living it, and through equipping others to do likewise. And that is true for all of us, not merely those of us who happen to sport clerical collars. We are all charged to live out our faith in the world, to do all that we can to make the love of God visible. Because the world is transformed by good news, not by good advice. And the most powerful and persuasive proof of that good news is to be seen in the transformed and liberated lives of its ambassadors, whether lay or ordained. Thomas the Apostle was, it seems to me, perfectly justified in his scepticism. He needed to know the reality of that truth for himself. Learning to live the resurrection life sometimes requires us to let God undertake his transforming work in his own way and in his own time. But sometimes that may be precisely what we need to let faith and experience weave their realities together in a seamless robe that will outlast all else that is mortal, those things that in time will simply fade away, whereas this will never, ever do so. Amen. Let us now stand and affirm our faith in the words of the Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again, in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. 
He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who is the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let us pray. The response to the bidding, Lord, for the years, is, we give you thanks. Lord of the morning, we thank you for the many blessings you give us each day and for bringing us together where we now ask you to hear our prayers. We pray for your church throughout the world, especially on this Sunday morning for our Church of St Bride and for all who have worshipped here throughout the ages. For Elizabeth our Queen and for His Royal Highness the Prince of Wales. For Alison our Rector and Jeff our Associate Priest and for all who have made it possible for us to join in this broadcast and for our family and friends who share in our laughter and tears. Watch over those who are separated from us and keep them safe. Lord, for the years, we give you thanks. Father of hope and love, hear our prayers for all who strive for peace and justice to work for a better tomorrow. Help us to remember the cost of war, particularly at this time, those suffering in Ukraine. Give strength to all who offer care and rescue services. We entrust to you these times when suffering seems senseless, life so fragile. Bless us with the assurance that you are in all things, the tragic and the beautiful, the nightmare and the dream, the darkness and the light. On the 5th of July, we celebrate 73 years since the founding of the National Health Service. We give thanks for the courage, commitment and dedication demonstrated by those working on the front line who have faced challenges of a lifetime. We pray for all men and women serving in our armed services and for those working in our local and national media who risk their lives to keep us safe and informed. Lord, for the years, we give you thanks. God of compassion, walk with those who are experiencing difficult times, those whose lives are shattered and broken, the homeless and all who feel unloved and unwanted, when each day seems long and arduous. We pray for the volunteers and care workers who provide shelter and food in an attempt to relieve hardship and restore dignity. Healing God, we ask you to touch those who are unwell. Ease their pain and suffering in mind, body and spirit. Give them comfort and hope when all seems lost. Help us to help them where we can. Lord, for the years, 
we give you thanks. God of the spirits, receive the souls of those we have loved who have reached the end of their earthly life and passed through time into eternity. May we who miss them be comforted by the memories we cherish in our hearts. In a moment of quietness, we bring before you all who are in need and those who have no one to pray for them. Lord, for the years, we give you thanks. Lord of the morning, we come to you in prayer to thank you for the glory of your creation. This season of summer, the warmth of the sun, the gentle breeze swept in by the incoming tide long shadows at the end of a golden day. We pray for farmers and those whose work to protect the countryside and wildlife. You have given us the seeds of faith, the fruits of the Spirit. Let us always pray for what we have received. May the Lord make us truly thankful. Merciful Father, Accept these prayers for the sake of your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Will you please stand? May the God of peace sanctify you. May he so strengthen your hearts in holiness that you may be blameless before him at the coming of our Lord Jesus with his saints. The peace of the Lord be always with you.
Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation. Through your goodness we have this bread to offer, which earth has given and human hands have made. It will become for us the bread of life. Blessed be God forever. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation. Through your goodness we have this wine to offer, fruit of the vine and work of human hands. It will become our spiritual drink. Blessed be God forever. It is indeed right, it is our duty and our joy, at all times and in all places, to give you thanks and praise. Holy Father, Heavenly King, Almighty and Eternal God, through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. And now we give you thanks that your glory is revealed in Thomas and all the saints, in their lives you have given us an example of faithfulness to Christ. In their holiness we find encouragement and hope. In our communion with them we share the unity of your kingdom. Therefore with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven we proclaim your great and glorious name forever praising you and singing.
Accept our praises, Heavenly Father, through your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. And as we follow his example and obey his command, grant that by the power of your Holy Spirit, these gifts of bread and wine may be to us his body and his blood, who in the same night that he was betrayed took bread and gave you thanks. He broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and gave you thanks. He gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. Therefore, Heavenly Father, we remember his offering of himself made once for all upon the cross. We proclaim his mighty resurrection and glorious ascension. We look for the coming of his kingdom, and with this bread and this cup, we make the memorial of Christ, your Son, our Lord. Great is the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Accept through him, our great high priest, this our sacrifice of thanks and praise. And as we eat and drink these holy gifts in the presence of your divine majesty, renew us by your spirit, inspire us with your love, and unite us in the body of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through him and with him and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, with all who stand before you in earth and heaven. We worship you, Father Almighty, in songs of everlasting praise. Blessing and honour and glory and power be yours forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray with confidence as our Saviour has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. We break this bread to share in the body of Christ, Though we are many, we are one body, because we all share in one bread. Draw near with faith. Receive the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he gave for you, and his blood, which he shed for you. Eat and drink in remembrance that he died for you, and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. We do not presume to come to this your table, merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your manifold and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table, but you are the same Lord, whose nature is always to have mercy, 
Grant us, therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that our sinful bodies may be made clean by his body, and our souls washed through his most precious blood, and that we may evermore dwell in him and he Let us pray. Lord God, the source of truth and love, keep us faithful to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, united in prayer and the breaking of bread, and one in joy and simplicity of heart. In Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Almighty God, we thank you for feeding us with the body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him we offer you our souls and bodies to be a living sacrifice. Send us out in the power of your Spirit to live and work to your praise and glory. Amen.
God give you grace to follow his saints in faith and hope and love. And to the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen. Amen.